Hello, and welcome to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Uh, Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan, and is led by Pastor Daniel White. Uh, Today we're going to be joining Pastor White as he continues his series on the family. So let's get out our Bibles and get ready to join Pastor White as he teaches us about God's plan for home and the family. Been in a series on the family now for several, several weeks. We just recently talked about courtship, engagement, and now tonight, the foundational building block of any family is the marriage. Bill, I'm a little bit loud on this right here. If you can turn me down, thank you. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Follow along as I read. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone, I will make him a helpmate for him. Verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall the man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Heavenly Father, I pray you'd bless the teaching of your word tonight. We have a lot of material that you have laid on my heart to share with your people. So I pray you'd help me tonight to present this in a very understandable way. Father, that we would really get a hold of the truth of Scripture when it comes to marriage. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Tell you what, we've never seen marriage attacked as it's being attacked today. Undermining the very foundation of society and also the church. And so I've entitled the lesson tonight, An Appeal. I'm appealing to you. I'm appealing to those who are listening Uh, to us tonight, maybe on live stream or who will listen to us later on the website. I'm appealing to you to return in your mind and in your heart, no matter what's taken place in your life, to return to God's design for marriage. We're going to go back to the beginning and we're going to see how God designed marriage to be. The Bible tells us that marriage, when we take that vow, it is till what? I can't hear you. What? It is till death do us part. It's not till divorce do us part. It is till death do us part. That is the vow that we take when we stand before the altar, before God and before man. We just read of God's original design for marriage. And I want you to notice the word right here that I have highlighted in yellow. What's the word? Cleave. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave. Now earlier it talks about them becoming one flesh. And we'll come back to that a little bit later. Here he says they shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Now the word cleave is a very interesting word. It means to be joined together. Marriage joins us together. It means to be permanently adhered to one another. Notice the word permanently. To be permanently adhered 
to one another. It means to be loyal to one another. It means to be stuck together. Put it this way. When you say I do, you done did and you're stuck now. Right? That biblically speaking, you're stuck in that relationship. So you better be careful who you get stuck to. You better do it right. And that's why we started out with courtship, through the engagement, and then on into the marriage. It means to be affixed or glued together. It means to hold together, to bond together, to resist separation. Literally, you are welded together in this relationship. That is going back to God's original design. What did Jesus teach about marriage? Was he very specific or was he quite general? Very specific when it came to his teaching on marriage. Now here's a couple things that you need to understand and next week we'll come back and we'll look at this more in detail. I'm kind of overviewing it tonight and then we'll focus in uh, next uh, uh, Wednesday night on Matthew's teaching and Mark's teaching. One thing you need to understand is that the book of Matthew was written to the Jews. Okay, can you get that down? The gospel of Matthew was directed to the Jews and so they had a Jewish mindset. The book of Mark was directed to the Gentiles. So they had a Gentile mindset. So the Jews had the Jewish perspective of marriage and Gentiles had a whole different perspective of marriage. So we need to understand that when it comes to interpreting what Jesus had to say about marriage to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. What did he say to the Jews concerning marriage? And great multitudes followed him and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came to him tempting him. Remember they were always trying to trap him with his words and find a reason why they could throw an accusation at him or find him teaching something contrary to the law. Good luck there, right? The Pharisees also came to him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Next week we're going to look specifically at this. At this time there were two mindsets in the Jewish culture concerning marriage. One was you could divorce your wife for any reason. She burns the toast, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. The second was you could only divorce your wife in the case of adultery. If she committed adultery, then that was grounds for divorce. So that was the two mindsets of the Jews when Jesus was writing this passage. That's what the, that's what the Pharisees were thinking. So one school, can a man divorce his wife for any cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read... He reads to them exactly what we just read from Genesis. And he said to them, Have ye not read that he which made them in the beginning made them what? Male and female. Hmm. That does away with same-sex marriage. And said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave, be permanently stuck together, glued together, welded together. The two become one. And the twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain. They're not two individuals anymore. They're one. But one flesh. Now notice what he says. Read it with me. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. Should that have answered their question? Yes or no? 
Okay, they should have answered it. Takes them all the way back to the beginning. This is what God's original design for marriage was. Then they said unto him, Hmm, why did Moses then command a writing of divorcement? And next week we'll look at what Moses wrote concerning divorce. Why did Moses uh, give us a bill of divorcement to put her away? And he saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, because you were going to divorce your wife. You know what? We just have a way of doing what we know we ought not to do. And so we have to have laws to regulate us. So here were these women that had no protection. The men would just, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. And they were going to do it anyway, even though it was contrary to God's design. So Moses, because of the hardness of their, their hearts were hard towards the things of the Lord. They did not accept God's original design. Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered you to put away your wives. Now, listen, he qualifies it, but from the what? Beginning, it was not so. This this is not the will of God. So don't look at Moses' bill of divorcement and say, God puts his approval on divorce. It's very clear that he does not put his approval on divorce. And I say unto you that whosoever put away his wife except for fornication hmm, and shall marry another committeth adultery. Notice he didn't say if your wife or your husband commits adultery, then you can divorce. He said whosoever puts away his wife except it be for what? Fornication and shall marry another committeth what? Adultery. When you're married, you can't commit fornication. When you're married and you're unfaithful, it's called what? Adultery. So in the Jewish mindset, they knew exactly what Jesus was talking about when he used the word pornea, when he used the word fornication. He was referring to the betrothal period in which literally a contract was drawn up and if one was found unfaithful during that period of time and they commit fornication, they had to break that, um, dot, that, that, um, that agreement with a divorce. I hope you're understanding what I'm saying. We'll get more into that next week. Otherwise, if Jesus was saying that if your partner commits adultery, then you have grounds for divorce, then he would have used the word adultery. He would not have used the word fornication. Except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And, and again, we'll get more into that next week. And whosoever marrieth her, uh, which is put away, committeth adultery. His disciples, now here, notice the reaction of the disciples. Jesus wasn't taking either position. He wasn't taking the position that you can divorce your wife for any reason. He was not taking the position that you can divorce your wife if she commits adultery. He said, no, the only time that a divorcement can take place is during the betrothal period when fornication takes place. And notice the reaction of the disciples. His disciples say unto him, if the case of a man be so with his wife, it is good, what? If I cannot divorce my wife, even if she commits adultery, then it's a good idea not to even get married. You see, the disciples had bought into the divorce philosophy that was common in that day. Many Christians have bought into the divorce theology 
that has been accepted in our day. And we'll get, again, we'll get more into that next week. But there's, there's, no, there's, there's no other explanation for the disciples. Whoa, this is a teaching that we haven't heard. It's good not to get married. By the way, that's that fornication betrothal, that's where Joseph was minded to write a bill of divorcement and put Mary away. So now, so there we got uh, Matthew, the gospel to the Jews who understood that mindset. Now we have the gospel of Mark. This was written to the Gentiles that had absolutely zero concept of the Jewish betrothal. Okay, are you all still with me? Are you sure? Okay, written to the Jews, so Jesus had to address the fornication issue that could take place during the betrothal period. Now, watch his teaching here. It's almost identical, but notice something. And he arose from thence and cometh to the coast of Judea by the further side of the Jordan. And the people resorted unto him again. And as he was wont, he taught them again. And the Pharisees came to him and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? And he answered and said unto them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered or allowed to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. Jesus answered and said unto them, for the hardness of your hearts, he wrote this precept. But from the beginning of creation, again, what does Jesus take them to? All the way back to Genesis in God's original design. Can I tell you something? That's where we need to go. We need to go back to Genesis. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall the man leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife, and the twain shall be one flesh. So they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. And in the, and, and in the house of his disciples, ask him again of the same matter. Why did they ask him again? Were they not clear as to what he was saying? That's right. They wanted a loophole. They wanted a way to get out of a marriage if it went sour. So now they're really needling him. Are you seriously saying that there's no grounds whatsoever for divorce? And he saith to them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery, period. Now let me ask you a question. Is this a popular teaching today? I want to be very honest with you. I am one of the few, few preachers that I know. Most of my preacher friends do not hold a biblical position on divorce and remarriage. I am one of the few that are still holding to biblical teaching in this area. And I think I know why. I understand. I mean, I look out here and see how many of you have gone through the tragedy of divorce. And so you know what it's easy to do? It's easy to avoid it altogether and not even talk about it or to water down the teachings of Scripture to give an exception clause where Jesus did not give an exception clause. 
I understand that. Let's look at the teachings of the Apostle Paul. Did he line up with the Lord Jesus? What do you think? Of course he did. Romans chapter 7. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. Talking about the moral law of God as it pertains to marriage. For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law, God's law, not man's law, obviously, but God's law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So, ladies, here it is. If you want to get rid of your husband, so then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man. She should be called an adulteress. I didn't say that. <laughs> she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, God's law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. It's absolutely crystal clear. Yes or no? I mean, there's no, there's no well, how do you interpret this? 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Verse 10 to verse 11. And unto the married I command, yet not I but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. But and if she depart, let her remain unmarried, or else be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. So he say if a divorce does take place, you stay, you know, God is always a God of reconciliation. Don't ever hinder the opportunity for reconciliation to take place. And then he says right at the end of the chapter, he said the wife is bound by law, same as what he said to the Romans. The wife is bound by law as long as her husband liveth, but if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. Now that phrase only in the Lord means only to another Christian believer. Okay? Ephesians chapter 5. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. So in marriage you have one plus one equals what? One. Now mathematically that may be incorrect. But biblically... As it applies to marriage, this is a great mystery. How can one and one be one? We are one with Christ. Aren't you thankful that once we are married to Christ, that marriage covenant will never be broken? So here's the thing. Here's the deal. If marriage can be dissolved, then so can our relationship with Christ. What did the prophet Malachi say about marriage? He said, And this have ye done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears and weeping and crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering any more, or receiveth it a good will at your hand. Yet ye say, Wherefore? Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. Yet is she thy wife. Treacherously means you've divorced her. Yet is she thy uh, uh, companion. And the wife of thy what? covenant. Marriage is a covenant. Only contracts can be broken by mutual consent. And did not he make one? The two shall be what? One. Yet he had he the residue of the spirit and wherefore one that he might seek a godly seed. One thing about divorce is it's devastating to children. 
devastating to that passing on of a godly seed. Therefore, take heed to your spirit. Listen to what your spirit is telling you. And let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth, for the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. Putting away means divorce. All right? Let me tell you something. God does not put his stamp of approval on something he says he hates. That makes no sense. So the marriage vow is till death do us part. Do vows matter? Yes, they do. And I'm going to take time to read all these passages of Scripture, but it says this. If a man vow a vow unto the Lord or swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his what? Word. He shall do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. Well, so when you say, I do, you done did. All right? You made the vow. No more twain, but one flesh. Whenever I conduct a wedding ceremony, there's four times in every wedding ceremony that I say these words. What God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. I, I want that couple to know this is it. Now, let's digress. And this is a digression into same-sex marriage. Who would have ever thought? When I entered into the ministry 36 years ago, I would have never, ever, ever have imagined that on a Wednesday night Bible study, I would be teaching about same-sex marriage. Never would have crossed my mind. I'll tell you, this is now the law of our land. It's being accepted. It's being taught. It's being propagated, even in our churches. So I want to talk about this, <clears throat> this whole LGBT. Um, you know, isn't it, to me, it's kind of interesting that we've weakened God's view of marriage in the church, and now this is where we're at. Do you see it as a progression as I have seen it? Because we have not upheld God's original design, because we have not been, we're going to talk about how the church is supposed to be salt and light. I actually remembered, if any, do you remember when we were down at the, uh, we were uh, standing up against um, the LGBT, uh, what, was, what were they called? The NDO. And I remember we had a, opportunity to speak and so did the LGBT group down there. It was, it was held down at the um, Michigan Theater. Well, there were a lot of people there that night. I didn't get to speak to way, way, way and everything had been said. That, But I remember one person stood up for the LGBT community and said, I don't know what you Christians are talking about. You accept divorce. I don't know how many of you remember the, that lady saying that. And use that as a grounds by which, hey, if we accept that and say that's okay, why can't you accept this and say this is okay? And then she said this, doesn't your Bible speak against divorce?
the impact that this man has had on our culture. At a certain point, I've just concluded, remember when he was running for office, he said he believed in traditional marriage. At a certain point, I just concluded that for me personally, it is important for me to go ahead and affirm that I think same-sex couples should be able to get married. Well, I don't accept what Mr. Obama believes in because it's not what God believes in. So here's the point. It doesn't make any difference what you believe or what you have accept. What makes a difference is what the Bible teaches. Here's a lesbian teacher, Pam Strong. How I convince kids to accept gay marriage starting at four years of age. An elementary school teacher. Okay, You better watch out for this. If you send your kids to uh, public school, you, you, you better watch out for this in the very uh, young uh, ages. My princess boy. I start by going into the classroom and I read pro-gay children's books, king and king, to my kindergarten class. This is what you call indoctrination. Here are some of the books that are used to indoctrinate our precious children. Doesn't that look like our Bible stories? The promised land. Where homosexuality, being a lesbian, being a bisexual, being a transgender is accepted. That's the promised land? So, a list of 23 of the top LGBT children's books. Some of you may remember that Aaron was doing substitute teaching in our public schools. And Aaron, can you just quickly stand up and tell everyone why you could, why you could no longer substitute teach in the public school? Quickly, please. Yes. <laughs> just there, they, I was put in situations where I was required to Thank you. I remember the last time that Aaron taught in the public school, the teacher he was filling in for had an LGBT flag right on her desk, promoting that before all of her students. So what does the Bible say? about homosexuality. I don't care what Obama says. I don't care what the public schools say. I don't care what the courts say. The only thing I care is what does God say. Can we come down on God's side here? Leviticus. 
And thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind, and as an abomination, neither shalt thou lie with any beast to defile themselves, neither shalt any woman stand before a beast to lie down there uh, too. It is what? Confusion. So you got homosexuality, and then that spills over even into bestiality. Someone said, where are we going next? I guess I point here. If a man lie with womankind as lieth with uh, as a man if a man also lie with mankind as with woman both of them have committed an abomination they shall surely be put to death their blood shall be upon them there shall be no whore of the daughters of Israel nor a sodomite of the sons of Israel for even both these are an abomination unto the Lord. I remember when Mary was there at the NDO and she had an opportunity to speak and she stood up and she used the word sodomite and was booed by the LGB community. I said, you go, Mary. That's what they are. They're sodomites. That's what the Bible calls them. Now, they may not like that, but that's what the Bible says. And there were also sodomites in the land, and they did according to all the what? Abominations of the nations which the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. And as Asa did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did David his father, and what did he do that was right? He took away the sodomites out of the land. The woman shall not wear that which retaineth unto a man. This is the cross-dressers. Neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are what? An abomination unto the Lord thy God. Romans chapter 1. Again, when we were protesting the NDO, uh, one man got up and just simply read this passage of Scripture. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them in their conscience. For God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, boy, there was a time when our nation knew God. I was going to take time tonight and quote from several of our founding fathers, but I I couldn't do that. Didn't have time. Even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse, because that which may... Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but they became vain in their imagination. And their foolish heart was what? Darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man and to birds and to four-fettered beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up unto uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie. From the beginning, this was not so. Changed the truth of God into a lie, worshipped and served the creature, worshipping self, self-desire, self-passion, self-lust, more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up to vile affections, for even the women did change the natural use 
into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error, which is meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, that's why they're so against God and so against the church, God gave them over to a, what? Reprobate, a perverted mind, do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, of e uh, uh, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection. There's sodomy, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Is God's word pretty clear? Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly, for sinners, for the unholy, for the profane, for murders of fathers, murders of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind. Homosexuality. But there were false prophets among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And now, now watch this. And many shall follow their what? Pernicious ways. Their perverted, twisted, corrupt teachings. How many are going to follow? Many. Can I tell you something? Don't be ashamed to be in the minority. Many are going to follow these twisted, perverted teachings of these false prophets. By reason of whom the way of truth, we've laid out the way of truth tonight, shall be evil spoken of. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemn them in an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live, what kind of life? Ungodly. And deliver just lot, vexed with the filthy communication of the wicked. I think that's what's happening to us. I think we're getting vexed with this filthy communication that's all around us. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Aren't you getting sick of seeing this stuff? Aren't you getting sick of hearing this stuff? The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. What is this a picture of? Lot. If you look closely behind Lot and his two daughters escaping Sodom, what do you see? His wife who looked back. Just had to get one last look. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities after them, in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth an example of suffering and the vengeance of eternal fire. Notice that fornication here also is attributed to homosexual behavior. Know ye not that unrighteousness shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. 
I just heard today, I listened to Pensacola Rejoice Radio. Just heard today on the news. was a whole program that had to do with the LGBT and now how there's churches that are embracing the LGBT and claiming they're just as much Christian as we are and they need to be loved and they need to be accepted and they need to be brought into the body of Christ. And they started listing the churches that now, I want to tell you, this is what the Bible says. Argue this out with God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners, what does it say? Shall inherit the kingdom of God. Those who live that lifestyle will not inherit the kingdom of God. I don't care what they say. I don't care what their profession is. They can call themselves Christians, but they are not. And then it says this, and such were some of you. Praise the Lord, he can save anybody. Amen. And such were some of you, but you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Gay marriage, what a blight upon America. So on June 26, 2015, these individuals of the Supreme Court and those are the ones that voted for it, that are dressed in the LGBT colors, changed America, not for the better. I'll never forget when I saw in the news the White House lit up. Isn't it amazing how they use the rainbow? Perversion. I tell you, this broke my heart the night I saw that. Our founders could never imagine where we've come to. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech. Now, the passing of same-sex marriage, is that going to have any effect on the First Amendment and upon our constitutional rights as a church? Yes or no? Some would say no. I say absolutely. If you go back to 1954, I believe it was in 1954, Lyndon B. Johnson, who was a socialist, got passed through Congress what was called the 501c3 um, amendment, which he said would give churches tax-exempt status, which, let me say this to you, only the greater can tax the lesser. The church has never been in a state of being exempt because only the greater can exempt the lesser. We have tax immunity. We are immune from taxation. You need to understand that. It's very important. 
But he came up with this 501c state incorporation of churches. Churches bought into it by the masses. Okay? Here are some of the things that you have to agree to if you're going to be a 501c3 tax-exempt organization such as a nonprofit church. I won't read all these two. There's a whole bunch of them. These are just a few of them. The first one, ministry leaders are prohibited from speaking out against anything which is contrary to public policy. Let me say, is same-sex marriage now contrary to public policy? What about abortion? Ministry leaders are prohibited from speaking out against that which is contrary to public policy and may not engage in activity contrary to public policy. Now, how many of you could ever agree to that? This is why when it came time, when we formed Fellowship Baptist Church 20 years ago, we said, we can't sign that. So you know what we're going to be? We're going to be a church. And we're not going to pay taxes. Because we're immune from taxation. And it goes on here. Uh, churches may not directly or indirectly participate or uh, intervene in any political campaign. Why, why did LBJ not want the church speaking out? They didn't want him speaking against socialism. He was very crafty in getting this passed and doing his best to silence the church. How many remember a few years ago the case brought up against Bob Jones University? Seriously, only Jerry. It was several years ago. It's probably about 30 years ago. When Bob Jones University... Oh, just... I know. You were still in diapers. Okay, all right. No wonder you don't remember. But Bob Jones University had a policy... The policy was no interracial dating. Okay? Do you remember when that came down? Um, they were a 501c3 tax-exempt organization. This went all the way to the Supreme Court. Notice what it says here. This was the court. The court insists that an exempt organization, one that has become a 501c3, must serve and be in harmony with the public interest. I am not serving and being in, being in cahoots with the public interest. Must have a purpose that comports with the common community conscience. Our conscience isn't formed by what the community says is right and wrong. And must not act in a manner affirmatively at odds with the declared position of the whole government. Taken together, these passages suggest that the primary function of a tax-exempt organization is to act on the behalf of the government in carrying out governmentally approved policies. Over 95% of churches in America are 501c3 churches. They have no idea. They are corporations. 
That's why they have business meetings, because a corporation has to have business meetings. That's why they have to have voting, because uh, they have to, you have to vote. Uh, that's why they have to have uh, bylaws. That's all the requirement of the state for a state corporation to which they give tax exemption. Okay? Praise God, we never got into that entanglement. And we never will get into that entanglement. Now, you need to pray for President Trump. He has been on record many times saying he's going to do his best to get rid of the 501c3. Okay? They call it the Johnson Amendment. That he's going to get rid of the Johnson Amendment. He hasn't done so yet. He said it was going to be in his next tax proposal. We'll see. Okay, what President Trump does. He's going to have a lot of opposition against that. But I'm telling you, that would be an exciting thing because right now preachers say we can't speak out on this stuff. And if the church can't speak out, who will? Who will? So under the First Amendment, pastors have the right to determine what is said from the pulpit, not the IRS. I thought it'd be interesting to show you what some of the former laws in our land used to be. And I wouldn't be surprised if some of these laws are still not on the books, just that they're not enforced. But here are some of the former laws against sodomy. New York, every person being thereof convicted shall be hanged by the neck until he or she shall be dead. Kind of sounds like Leviticus. Georgia, sodomy shall be punished by imprisonment at hard labor in a penitentiary during the natural life or lives of the person or persons convicted of this detestable crime. Death, life, and prison. Maybe we'll move to New York. <laughs> Dismemberment of the offensive organ shall be the penalty for sodomy. South Carolina. Offenders being here, hereof convicted shall suffer such pains of death. Vermont. If any man liveth with Mankind, as he liveth with a woman, they both shall suffer death. Maine. If any man shall commit the crime against nature with a man or male child, every such offender uh, being duly convicted thereof in supreme judicial court shall be punished by solitary imprisonment for such term not exceeding one year and by confinement afterwards to hard labor for such term not to exceed 10 years. Pretty liberal Maine, you know, they always kind of have been. Boy, how we need to get back if my people. Doesn't it really all start with my people? Came across this today. Voltaire, the Bible is not the inspired and errant and 100% historically true words of God. 
If we would destroy the Christian religion, we must first of all destroy man's belief in the Bible. The atheist French philosopher, hater of God. Is he right? Well, he's not right in his first statement. But he certainly is right that that is the way you destroy the Christian religion. What do we see happening right before our very eyes today? The destruction of the Christian religion because we are destroying man's belief in the Bible as the Word of God. God said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of water, but for the hearing of the words of the Lord. I believe there is a famine in our land today. The Apostle Paul wrote concerning what will take place just before the coming of the Lord. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. Are we living in that great apostasy? Barna Research. Out of 1,000 young adults surveyed as to why they have left the church, 68% said the reason we left the church is we no longer believe the Bible is the Word of God. So our young people in our churches are now questioning, is the Bible really the Word of God? Their responses were, they do not believe the following. They do not believe in the infallibility of Scripture. They believe the Bible contains contradiction and errors. They do not believe in the inspiration of Scripture. The Bible was just written by regular guys. They do not believe in the preservation of Scripture, that the words and verse, they believe the words and verses are missing. They believe the Bible was written by regular men and is full of errors and contradictions. They believe there is no absolute truth. And this is Barna Research doing this, not me. When 10,000 religious Christians were asked if they believed that the Scriptures were the inspired, inerrant, it means the Bible's without error, Word of God in faith, history, and secular matters, Notice this, Episcopalians, 95% said, no, it is not. 87% of Methodists said, no, the Bible is not inerrant. 82% of Presbyterians. I want to tell you, there was, there was a time when Presbyterians were fundamental. 77% of American Lutherans said, nope, the Bible is not inerrant. The Bible has errors. I had one of our members come up, this was a while ago, came right up here after a Wednesday night service, and he was angry because I preached on a certain word, and he took his Bible out, he was pointing at that word, and he was mad at me. He said, that's not how that word should be translated. He said, read what my footnotes say. He said, I don't care what your footnotes say. Your footnotes don't have as much authority as the written word itself. I said, that is exactly the word that, the, that God wanted to be there. Nope, that's a mistake. 
This is a man who is a member of our church. He's no longer. He's left. But you will never convince this pastor that there's any mistakes in the Word of God. I absolutely believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. 67% of American Baptists, that's the most liberal wing of Baptist. Now notice this. 74% of clergymen in America, 74% say the Bible is not the... I want to tell you something. That's why we have so many of these new versions coming out. Because we have to correct the Word of God. Our, church, our assignment as a church is to be the moral and cultural conscience of a nation. I'll tell you what, our light's gone out. Our light's gone out. The Bible is inerrant. Amen? It is infallible. We don't have to change it. We don't have to improve upon it. You know why? Because the law of the Lord is perfect. How can you improve on something that's perfect? Why would you change something that's perfect? And so in our doctrinal statement, we've now had to write a portion of our statement about human sexuality. We've had to write a marriage policy. We've had to clearly state our position on homosexuality. I'm always amazed when I'm talking to someone about this. They say, well, the Bible doesn't have anything to say about homosexuality. <laughs> you, know what I, you know what I feel like saying? You are the most ignorant person I've ever met. I, I don't say that. I think that. There's a lot of things I think that I don't say. Sodomy, abomination, vile affections, burning lust, dishonoring the body, wickedness, violating nature, shameful lust. Go on down the list. Reprobate. Isn't it a shame that we've had to write a policy in our church doctrinal statement? Marriage typifies Christ's relationship with the church. As such, the church's view on marriage as a profound scriptural institution established by God, due to the importance of marriage in the biblical witness, this church adopts the following policy. policy. There shall be no same-gender marriages performed at Fellowship Baptist Church. Amen. Only duly appointed pastoral staff shall officiate at marriage ceremonies conducted on church property, pastoral staff serving the church shall be dismissed and their ordination revoked for officiating the same gender marriage ceremony. Applicants wishing to have marriage ceremony performed by 
A member of the pastoral staff or to use the church facilities shall affirm their agreement with the articles of faith and shall conduct themselves in a manner that is consistent therewith. Fellowship Baptist Church does not recognize same-gender marriage as a legitimate marriage, even if a marriage license has been issued by the state. We also then, I'll get more into this next week, we have a marriage covenant statement that will believe marriage is till death do us part. Don't you think we should return? Personally, I don't think things will change until God's church returns to his design for marriage. Next week, we're going to talk about the divorce and remarriage issue. I told you I'd get you out of here by a quarter after. I think that was 85, 86 slides there tonight. A lot of them we had to skip through. A lot of them, maybe you were speed reading some of them. I'm sorry for that, but um, let's pray. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram where you can see what's happening happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.